Good morning. Turning your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Brother Parsons, I, I don't know about you, but I think one of the goals of preaching, maybe the primary goals of preaching, are to glorify God, to magnify Christ, and where the Word is concerned, to just add seasoning to the meat. That the Word itself is the meat, and the job of the preacher is to enhance the flavor, to bring it out. Our text this morning is a sermon. It is the best sermon in Acts. It is, I, I can't imagine that there are any words edited out of it. It is, it is complete. And what I'd like to do this morning is to season the meat a little bit before we taste it. Okay? And so what's going to happen, the, the order of the sermon is going to be this. I'm going to talk some about the background. And then I'm going to preach Stephen's sermon. And I'll have maybe a minute after that. Okay? If the Jews in the first century had had something like a systematic theology, it may have had something like three volumes to it. Volume one would have been on monotheism. Yahweh is the one true God. Volume two may have been about election. God chose Abraham. God chose Isaac. God chose Jacob. God chose the children of Israel. Volume three would have had something to do with eschatology. It may have been about the land promise being fulfilled. It may have been about the temple. If you were a Pharisee or believed in resurrection, it would have had something about resurrection, restoration, and renewal. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes and he upends all of these things. He fills them up. Jesus Christ, of course, is a monotheist, but he comes as the Messiah in one of his messianic claims that was wholly unexpected was that he was the son of God and that he is God. He comes preaching about election and he says that your ethnicity doesn't entitle you to be part of the kingdom of God. And he also says your ethnicity does not exclude you from being part of the kingdom of God. He preaches eschatology, but he's wholly unconcerned with a land promise. He is instead going to be king of the world. The entire world. He's going to preside over a worldwide kingdom spread through the gospel. And so here's something that may shed some light on Stephen's sermon and its boldness. Something you may not have noticed. During Christ's earthly ministry, there were three attempts on his life before the crucifixion. They each followed sermons that he preached. And you can find them. You can take a note and go look at them later. They're Luke 4, John 8, and John 10. The two common elements of those sermons are these. One, there is a, an element of election in each of these sermons. And two, there is something he is saying about himself, either as purely Messiah or also that he is the son of God or that he is God. Before Abraham was, I am, he says in John. And so I want to read to you what Luke has as Jesus' first sermon in Luke's gospel to set background for what we're going to read Stephen preach. And you can follow with me. It's in Luke 4, and it begins in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. 
He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Listen. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their own town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. That sermon is about God's man going to the Gentiles because he has been rejected by Israel and as a judgment against Israel. Stephen, in our text, stands before the Sanhedrin, these 71 men presided over by the high priest, Pharisee and Sadducee. All of Israel is sitting in judgment on Stephen. All of Israel is sitting in judgment on the church. All of Israel is sitting in judgment on Christ. Stephen stands before the Sanhedrin transfigured. We read at the end of chapter 6 that his face was like the face of an angel. Perhaps he looked like the angels who were at the empty tomb in dazzling white. Perhaps he looked like Jesus whose face was altered, clothed in dazzling white raiment. When we see Jesus transfigured, He's talking with Moses and Elijah. He is talking with the law and the prophets. And peculiar to Luke is this line. He's talking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That word departure there is the Greek word that is in the Septuagint for the word exodus. Luke has Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah about an exodus, an exodus not to Jerusalem, but an exodus that was to begin at Jerusalem. And now this transfigured preacher is about to tell the story of Israel. The Old Testament scriptures tell a story, as you know, but it's an unfinished story. There was a promise that a deliverer would come from Zion, that all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. 
And now we know, and now we have found, that Jesus Christ is the climax of the story of Israel. This story that, of course, begins with great promises and triumphs and displays of God's power and mercy for his people. But yet the people repeatedly reject God and are thrown into exile for their sin. So in Stephen's sermon, we're going to see that God has made a covenant promise to his people through Abraham and that Israel has consistently and repeatedly rejected that promise, at times casting out God's messenger, at times killing him. We read this sermon then knowing that Stephen, like Jesus, is going to be taken outside the city and killed. So Jesus' exodus was to begin, not end at Jerusalem, and so it will be with Stephen and the church. What is the command to the disciples, to the apostles upon Christ's resurrection? That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that exodus starts here with Stephen. And whereas God dispossessed Canaan land from the nations to give to Israel, God is now, even now, dispossessing the whole world from the nations in this new exodus, which begins at the crucifixion, is propelled forward by the killing of Stephen. And God is even now giving the world to the Israel of God, the church. Now, the sermon itself, you can take the, the back of your bulletin, you can, look, you can do this outline, Roman numeral 1. Abraham, verses 2 through 8. Roman numeral 2, Joseph, verses 9 through 16. Roman numeral 3, Moses, verses 17 to 43. Roman numeral 4, the temple, verses 44 through 50. Roman numeral 5, imprecation or curse or judgment, verses 51 through 53. Recall what the allegation is against Stephen. What is the indictment against him? They told him, they told the high priest, they've ginned up these false witnesses against him, and they've said that he has blasphemed against God and Moses. That's the general allegation. The specific way in which they allege he has blasphemed against God and Moses, the Stephen, is that he is, he is preaching that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple. And he is preaching that Jesus of Nazareth will take away or change or alter the customs that Moses had handed down. And we talked some last week about what was meant behind that and how Jesus has fulfilled the scriptures. You'll see at the beginning of Stephen's sermon that he opens with the phrase, brothers and fathers. He's talking to his kindred. He's talking to the elders of Israel. Brothers pops up again in verse 26 where Stephen has Moses saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? This is after Moses has, has slain the Egyptian who was oppressing the Hebrew. And he comes back the next day and sees two Hebrew men quarreling. And he's trying to reconcile them. This statement, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? Is Stephen's indictment of the Sanhedrin. Why are the brethren wronging Christ by killing him? Why are they wronging the Hebrew people in Jerusalem, by persecuting the church. Why are they about to kill Stephen? Brothers and fathers is a sense in which fathers is used in this sermon in a positive way. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the fathers of everyone there. 
But there's a negative sense in wealth where later he will talk about at the end of his sermon, Stephen will say that your fathers, the fathers of the Sanhedrin, persecuted all the prophets. And they stand there doing the work of their father now, persecuting Christ and his church. Stephen also opens with this title of God, God of glory. The only time you're going to see that title in the Old Testament about God is Psalm 29, which is a ferocious psalm about the power and glory of Yahweh. As you read verses 2 through 8, as we, when, we, when you're listening to that, that's about Abraham. God calls a man from the nations to be his own. He says to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is the same call that the church is getting at this moment. What is Stephen? What, what, what's going to happen after Stephen's death? The church is going to leave their kindred. They're going to leave their home. They're going to leave their father's house and they're going to the land that God will show them. But that land is not Palestine. It is the whole world, the ends of the earth. We know that God gave Abraham a promise. I will make you a great nation, he says. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. And all the families of the earth, and you all the families of the earth, shall be blessed, he said. God tells Abraham to look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he says, so shall your offspring be. And we read that he believed God and it was counted to him as what? Before Isaac is born, Yahweh says, your name shall be Abraham. This is before Isaac is born, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. God treats his promises as a fait accompli, as though it has already been done. But God tells Abraham that though his seed would inherit the land, they would first be sojourners in a strange land for over 400 years. Why? Section 2. Because of the sin of Israel. The patriarchs sell Joseph into slavery. All of Israel condemned Joseph. And he finds favor among the Gentiles. He's twice resurrected, once coming out of the pit when he's sold to the Ishmaelites, and then once when he's entombed and he's called by Pharaoh to interpret dreams. This Savior of Israel had been left for dead by all of Israel. Section 3, Moses. Stephen opens section 3 of his sermon by saying the time of the promise had come. And what was that promise? It is that they would be delivered from bondage, a physical bondage. They were delivered from a physical bondage. We are delivered from the bondage of sin. They would be returned from exile. They would inherit the promised land. So in the fullness of time, Moses goes to his people. We read that he kills the Egyptian. And then, listen, listen to this. It is, it is pregnant with meaning. He, this is verse 25. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. He tries to reconcile his people. And what do they say in verse 27? Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? 
And so Moses is exiled from his people. He goes to Midian and finds a wife among the Gentiles. He has to go away from his people to get his bride. After 40 years, Moses sees the burning bush. He hears the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And God says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning. And I have come down to deliver them. This deliverer, of course, is rejected again. Who made you a ruler and a judge? You read again in verse 35. So Moses displays signs and wonders and ultimately prophesied, listen, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. The other prophet had an immediate fulfillment in Joshua, but greater and ultimate fulfillment in Christ, the true ruler and the great redeemer who himself performed signs and wonders and was even raised from the dead. But like Moses, verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. Asked Aaron to make the golden calf. And in Exodus 32, when God sees the calf, he says this to Moses. I have seen this stiff-necked people. And he says his wrath will consume them. Stephen concludes the section by saying, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. And I, and I want your ear to be clear on this. He's not saying they're going to worship the Lord of hosts. They're worshiping the host of they're worshiping the stars. They rejected God, Israel did, and God gave them over. It is very similar language to Romans chapter one about the Gentiles. And he cites the prophet Amos. Amos prophesies hundreds of years after the children of Israel are in the wilderness. This is after Amos comes after the judges. He's after Saul. He's after David. He's after Solomon. The kingdom is divided. And he saw, and Amos prophesied against Israel in the divided kingdom to show that they were always like this, that they had always been disobedient. Stephen, though, inciting Amos, and this is very important, makes an editorial change. Amos prophesies in about 750 B.C. He is prophesying about the Assyrian invasion, the Assyrian exile. And for those who may not be familiar with Old Testament history, the Assyrian exile occurs 150 years or so before the Babylonian exile. And so when you read him citing Amos, Stephen says, you'll be, you'll be, judged beyond, you'll be in exile beyond Babylon. What Amos actually said was beyond Damascus. So Amos was telling the children of Israel, you're going to be exiled beyond Damascus. Stephen is telling his hearers, this is a word of judgment, not against ancient Israel, but against his hearers in that moment. The greatest exile Israel ever experienced was the Babylonian exile. What happened at the Babylonian exile? The temple was destroyed. And he's telling his hearers, you're going to be exiled. You're going to be judged beyond Babylon. It is going to be worse than anything Israel's ever seen. 
Then you get to the section of the temple, verses 44 through 50. He opens with the tabernacle. And then he talks about the first temple. And he notes that Solomon got to build that temple, not David. Why throw that in there? Because David had the temple and he lost it. Why did he lose it? He lost it because of his own sin. So Solomon got to build it. And there is no mention in Stephen's sermon of the second temple, the very temple that they're standing in front of. When the second temple was built, it was within living memory of some of the people who had seen the first temple. And they cried because it just wasn't as glorious as the first temple. And now this second temple, this temple where the spirit never dwelled. You know, when the tabernacle is dedicated, the Shekinah glory of God comes down. When the first temple is dedicated, the Shekinah glory of God comes down. It never happens at the second temple. The spirit does not dwell in that temple. Where is the spirit? It's in Stephen. It's in Peter. It's in the apostles. And so this second temple that had been expanded and I'm sure looked beautiful after Herod the Great comes and he makes the temple greater. It is a house made of hands. And the children of Israel are rejoicing in the works of their hands. God reigns, Stephen says, from heaven. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. He closes with an imprecation or a judgment. He says, you stiff-necked people, that is calling back, having worshipped the golden calf. He says, you uncircumcised in heart, that is language from the Pentateuch. That is language saying, you are not listening to God. You are disobedient to God's law. You are not righteous. You are not who you say. You're hypocrites. He says, you are uncircumcised in ears that comes from Jeremiah. Who is Jeremiah? He is the great prophet to whom no one listened. In fact, they threw him in a pit. Which of the prophets, he says, did your fathers not kill? Reminds me of Jesus' last sermon in Matthew. His last discourse in Matthew begins in Matthew 23. He's in Jerusalem and it ends with the Olivet Discourse. So he starts in Matthew 23, at the, maybe at the Temple Mount, and then comes down a valley and back up to the Mount of Olives. And this last discourse, Jesus is descending and then ascending. But in the first part of it, there are seven woes to the Pharisees and the scribes given to some of the very men who would have been sitting in the Sanhedrin in judgment on Stephen. The last one is this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of righteousness, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would, have not, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men, and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation, Christ said. 
Then Stephen calls Jesus the righteous one. Peter had used the same language in his second sermon. And this statement by Stephen that Jesus Christ is the righteous one, it is his statement that the whole history of Israel has culminated in and finds its pinnacle in the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the fifth sermon we've read in Acts, and for the fifth time, the preacher blames his audience for the killing of Jesus. And Stephen closes his sermon by declaring to these men who accuse him of breaking the law, telling them they've never kept the law. Stephen's sermon. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after this his father died. God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, that we had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. And rescued him out of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan in great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on their second visit... Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. 
and seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight and he drew near to look and there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come. I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephon, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. 
Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the, prof- which of the f- prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Dear church, God promised Abraham that his offspring would be as innumerable as the stars. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. For by works of the law, no man will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But praise God, we have been set free from sin. And have become slaves of righteousness. Let us pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you this morning for saving us. We praise you for orchestrating this history where our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would be the pinnacle of all things that have gone before or since. We praise you for the example we see here in Acts chapter 7, the example of boldness the example of being molded by Christ, the example of one who would praise Christ, who would adore him in the face of wickedness and persecution. Use us to continue to spread your kingdom and to magnify the name of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.